That's an incredible thought, isn't it? Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Great note. Children, we are missing Faye B. Scott, our children's minister, so that's why we do not have children's worship today. Kids' worship will resume, I guess, next week. We're also missing Bob Moore. Some of you saw pictures of Bob with all of the preteens gathered around him. They're still in Branson, Missouri, or Eureka Springs, or wherever they've gone. And youth, we've still got our youth pastor, Jonathan Bailey, over in Ghana, West Africa, with some of our young people. So that's part of what's going on today. Also today, uh, surprise to me and I'm sure to all, my upcoming book, Your Pain is Changing You, is featured on the living section of the Times-Picayune. They have put an excerpt in the paper, and it's uh, there today, and they're announcing that for the next two Sundays, there'll be an excerpt from the book in the living section. So they're publishing about 10% of this book, which will be available on July 7th. Yes, I'm excited about it. I'm happy it happened. <laughs> when I sent a note to the senior editor of the newspaper, Enola.com, that I was writing this book and I would, you know, if they would like to endorse it, I would enjoy that. I didn't know that Jim Amos was going to ask for the full copy, read the whole book, give me a glowing review of the book, and then decide to publish these excerpts. So all of that happened uh, at his initiation, and we're excited about it. Also on the front page of the Picayune today is a story about Fred Luter. You will want to uh, note that. It's an important story and a long story that I'm glad they did about this man of God from our town, raised in the Lower Ninth Ward, who became the first black president of our convention. And uh, he presides over the convention this week. I hope you'll be in prayer for Fred Luter and his responsibilities there. I'm going to go to the convention as well. I'm going to be at the New Hope Publishing booth in the convention center there. And uh, they have printed excerpts of the book for me to pass out. Your pain is changing you. I hope you handle your pain in faith, trusting in God, whatever sorrow or trouble has come upon your life. Today I'm starting, uh, I'm concluding the series on Transformed, and I'm going to have us read together the first four verses of the second chapter of the book of Acts. All of this Transformed series has been building up to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This is the day of Pentecost in the Jewish and the Christian calendar. And uh, so we are looking at the event at the Feast of Pentecost, which was a Jewish celebration uh, on this day, and we're going to read together. Nehemiah asked the people to stand as they read the Word of God, so I want us to stand too. Would you stand with me, read from the screen the Word of God. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then this verse, verse 33 from chapter 2, read it with me. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That is Peter's remarks. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are opening our hearts, our minds, our lives right now to the word of your Spirit, to the work of your Spirit, to the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, this is your moment in us. We are available. Let us hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pentecost brought people from all over the Roman Empire. All the Jews that had been scattered to all the different places came on roads and ships, made pilgrimages to Jerusalem, so there were gathered in Jerusalem on this particular day these people who spoke all these different languages as their native tongue. Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit is just like Calvary and the empty tomb in a way. These are historical realities, events that are recorded for us by the gospel writers and by Luke, the historian. So they are telling us about things that happened. This is an event that took place. It's not repeatable. It's not reproducible. What happened on the day of Pentecost happened on the day of Pentecost. It is the initiation of the church of Jesus Christ, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It was promised by uh, the Lord Jesus that it was going to take place. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but one's coming after me whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this happened on the day of Pentecost. There is vivid language that describes what was going on in the upper room where they were gathered together, these 120 people, including the mother of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, the brothers of Jesus like James and Jude, as well as the 12, uh, the 11 apostles. They're all gathered in that room when suddenly there is this sound from heaven like a rushing, violent wind, and it fills the room where they are gathered. I think about wind. And I think to myself as I read this, the Spirit is blowing without their permission. They have not brought this about. They have not initiated this event on the day of Pentecost. It was not Peter, James, and John who created it or planned it or thought it up. It is without their initiation, without their approval, or anything that they could do, the Spirit of God came because the Father 
promised it. Just as he said it would. Jesus said, you must be born of water and of the Spirit if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. He told this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't understand how a man could be born the second time. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, the Spirit blows where it wants to. It's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. But you seize, see its effect. So also is the Spirit. Wind is universal in the human family. We all experience wind, breezes, and sometimes violent storms. Joshua, my son, sent me from Lubbock a picture he took through his windshield of an intersection he was approaching but he couldn't even see the stoplights or the intersection or what was going on in the intersection a hundred yards from him because the wind had blown violently and the air was full of dust. It was a dust storm and it obscured everything. And when I talked to Josh and Sally, they always mentioned the wind. They liked Lubbock. They loved their church. But my, does the wind blow in Lubbock, Texas? Well, the wind blows down here as well. The wind blows everywhere, and let me tell you, there's not much you can do about it, all right? It just happens. No, it doesn't need your permission. It just takes place. So also is the work of the Spirit. It's a rushing, violent wind. Did anybody expect it? No, it just happened. They heard it, and suddenly it was there. And that's how God's activity is in our lives. I'm not talking about now how an idea of God will improve your life. I'm not talking about how the practice of faith will make you a better person. I'm talking now about the activity of a living God on this planet, in your space, in your time. The things He can do and will do in you, through you, and around you. And is already doing like Jesus said. We are Jesus people. We want to follow Jesus. Jesus said, my Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. The Father God is at work in your life. You're not in this church, you're not a Christian just because being religious helps you out. That's not it. We are Christians because God has broken into human history. He has intervened in our lives He ran us down from behind when we were running from him. He chased us like somebody called him the hound of heaven, wanting us in his family. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. God is at work. He's at work in the world. He's at work in your life. And if you can't see it, maybe it's because you haven't been born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can't perceive it. You can't understand it. You can't see the activity of God until God changes your heart and makes you his own. 
Unless a man is born again. We always think of that in the future tense. But what about right now? The kingdom of God is not only future, it also is present. It's in the here and now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you. Can you see the kingdom? Do you know where God is at work in the life of your family, in your spouse, in your children, in your fellow employees and students at school? Do you know where God is at work? Can you see God working in the people around you, in circumstances around you? Do you see Him at work? We are talking now about God intervening in human experience, initiating something from above, bringing it in to the experience of Peter, James, John, Mary, Jude, James. This is God at work without our permission. There were tongues of fire that appeared in the room and they sat on each of them, Luke says. Fire was associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit from the very moment that John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He said his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor. He will put the wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The fire is burning beyond our control. God has set a force moving in this world in the coming of the Holy Spirit and the creation of the church that no human being can control. You can't control the work of the Spirit. You want to. Sometimes you're reticent to talk about the Spirit. You're reluctant to hear about the Spirit because the Spirit cannot be controlled by you. The fire is burning beyond your control. When I was about 14 or 15 years old, I heard about a grass fire that was burning north of our house about a mile, and I thought it threatened our property. We lived on 100-and-something acres in central Texas, and most of it was grass about this high, and it was very dry. And I had the most brilliant idea. And I told my brothers, I gathered them around, I said, hey guys, this fire's burning up there. It's a dangerous thing, man. What if it comes down here and burns this valley, burns up the house? What do we need to do? We need to get some matches and burn the grass away from the house. That's what we need to do. So we went and got some matches. And we started, Jeff, we started a fire burning, man. We lit the grass on fire this high thinking we could control it. I mean, in seconds, it was like a roaring fire. It was, it was burning out of control. We couldn't even get close to it. I thought I was going to burn up. I fled from the fire. I didn't know what was going to happen. Mother was screaming. The kids were running this way and that. The fire's moving out toward the valley. And my father comes running out of the house with a soaked big old towel And he wades into the flames and he beat the grass and beat out that fire. Went along the fire line and just beat it out. Lost all the hair in his arms. Put the fire out. I don't remember him saying a word to me. My bright idea. He knew I'd learned my lesson. God's fire 
symbolizes his cleansing. Has God ever cleansed anything out of your life? Symbolizes God's judgment. Has God's judgment ever descended on your life? It symbolizes the chastisement of God on his children. The Bible says that everybody who's a child of God experiences his chastisement. And if we don't experience his chastisement, then we're not legitimate children of his. I'm asking you, where have you been chastised by God in your life? I wouldn't think to point at something in your life and say, that's the chastisement of God. I do that in my life. I invite you to do it in your life personally. I don't necessarily want you doing it in my life, all right? (laughs) If something comes my way and it's bad, I don't need you telling me that's God trying to get your attention. I don't know why bad things happen. I know sometimes, though, that God sends things our way the fire of His Spirit beyond our permission, out of our control, because He is working on us. And the Holy Spirit will not be poured out in your life without God working on you. There's a fire connected to His presence and His power. And there may be something in your life that right now you would look at and say, I do believe that's the activity of God. That's the chastisement of God. God's cleansed something from my life. He has excised something or someone from my life. He has removed something. The fire of the Spirit has burned in my life right there. And this is what you must do. You must acknowledge that this is the activity of God. If you embrace it as coming from God, then acknowledge that God has been at work in you and you receive it by faith. I was so upset when I was 14 and we decided to move. I did not want to move as a 14-year-old. I had a girlfriend. I had other stuff. And Dad said, we're moving. And I said, no way. I was upset as a boy can be. And I told God, I was a-praying teenager I told God I want you to make it clear to me what's going on in my life I don't want to lose these friends I don't want to lose this place and I had a Bible that had all the work of the Holy Spirit colored in green and like some immature Christians might do and maybe some mature ones I just broke the Bible open and there were three verses colored in green at the place I broke the Bible open. And it was all about Ezekiel being carried somewhere by the Lord that he didn't want to go. And he was telling God he didn't want to go. And in his anger and protest, the Holy Spirit moved him. That's what the three verses were about. God was doing something in my life. It was unpleasant to me. Most of the time, chastisement at the time is unpleasant. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's very difficult. 
But in that simple act of faith, trusting and praying that God would speak to me, he taught me as a teenager that he was active in my life and that I was to trust him and that his his Holy Spirit was going to carry me. And I received that by faith. And I think that's what we must do. As teenagers, as children, as adults, we must receive by faith that God is at work around us. Maybe we don't know for sure the source of the things that come our way, but we do know that we can respond to them trusting Him. And we can say, Lord, I'm your child, and this thing has come into my life. Maybe I suspect where it's from. Maybe I don't know where it's from, but God, I want to trust you in the middle of this, and I want to become more like you for having responded in faith to this trouble that's come my way. The Holy Spirit's a fire. And when you say, God, use me, you don't know what the fire will take. There may be good things in your life that God's going to remove in order to give you his best. That's part of following him. That's part of the Spirit's work. The Spirit is blowing without our permission. The fire is burning beyond our control. And the Spirit is speaking beyond our abilities. This is a marvelous miracle we just read about. It's a miracle of speech. Sixteen different languages are mentioned after the text that we read. And these folks were hearing the gospel in their own language, in great syntax and a sufficient vocabulary. These folks who had never studied these languages were speaking unto them the marvels of God's Word. It's a communication miracle. It is the opposite of Babel. Where at the Tower of Babel, God changed all the languages and the people couldn't get together anymore. They couldn't understand one another and they just scattered to the ends of the earth because they could no longer work together. Now, at Pentecost, we have the reversal. We have God doing something with human language beyond anybody's ability in the present moment. And it is a wonderful miracle of speech. It's so hard for me to just tell you what's on my mind and for you to hear it right. Just last night, Janet says to me, now when did Jesus do two similar miracles? I thought and I said, Jesus healed two blind people. And the 11-year-old granddaughter, Hope, who was sitting on the other side said, well, I know he had good reasons. And I said, reasons for what? Reasons to kill two blonde people. I said, no, Hope, I didn't say Jesus killed two blonde people. I said he healed two blind people. (laughs) You see, she's in a family of blondes, and I'm in a family of blondes, so we just figured if Jesus was going to kill anybody, he'd be a blonde. But she just misunderstood, and I'm glad she said something because I wouldn't want her to leave the living room and think that Jesus killed two blonde people. That would be a mistake. So we got that straight, but how often do we get it wrong? It's just not that easy to communicate. That's why you're so fearful about public speaking. 
It's one of the most stressful things people do. They say to you at work, we want you to make a presentation, and you go, ah! They say, you got to take speech class. No, I don't want to take speech class. People ask me pretty often, they say, uh, do you still kind of, you know, get anxious about preaching? The answer to that is, yes! 42 years of this does not take the butterflies away. Now I'm going to tell you what kills public speaking, okay? Self-consciousness. You got it? The disciples are worried about a lot of things. One of the things they're worried about is what's going to happen when they stand before kings and governors and are asked to give an account for what they're doing. Jesus says to them, when you stand before kings and governors, do not worry about what you're going to say. This most stressful event in human experience. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Why, Lord? Because it will be given you in that moment. That's why. In other words, Jesus is taking the focus off me and how I'm doing and putting the focus on the Spirit and how He will provide. Gosh, I hope you get this. Are you going to get it? Are you going to get it? It's not about you. What God has called you to do he has equipped you to do. He is going to empower you to do. And if you can get it in your head, it's not about you. It's about God working through you, God working in you, God taking charge and providing this word. That's what happens on the day of Pentecost. Peter opens his mouth and things come out he's never learned. And he's wondering, what in the world is this? This is how God is going to provide for his followers as they carry the word of life to a world that needs to hear, and they carry the love of God into a world of need, God's going to provide in every situation, in every case, so the follower of Jesus never has to back up and say, oh, I can't do that. If God tells you to do it, it's not about you. When God said to the Israelites, I want you to take this promised land, they sent some spies in. That was a mistake just to see, you know, what it's going to be like. And they came back, and 10 of the 12 spies said, my goodness, we're not going in there. They're giants. Have you seen those giants? Those people are fierce warriors. They've got walled cities. The walls are tall. We can't do it. And sometimes we say that. We can't do it. I can't do it. It was never the Israelites who were going to take that land. It was always God. It was always God. He knew this feeble little nation couldn't take that land, but he knew he could. So what does he tell Joshua on the brink, on the edge of the conquest? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. So it is the privilege of the follower of Jesus.
to hear the call of God to do something that is beyond their ability and to say, Lord, I trust you, what you call me to do, you equip me to do, and yes, Lord, I will go. The secret to standing in front of people who are scrutinizing you and looking at you and evaluating you when you speak in the boardroom or the break room or the classroom, the secret to being fully able to communicate what God's put on your heart is to know it's not about you. The Spirit of God in that moment will give you what you are to say. And if you are trusting Him, you shift the focus from me, my abilities. How am I coming off? Do they think I'm an idiot? To the God who is completely adequate and competent in every situation, both public speaking and all other events. Hey, I can settle in right there. Can you? Can't you rest in that? Now, that's what the Holy Spirit came to do. He liberates you from the terror of self-consciousness to give you a supreme confidence in the God who is truly, really, factually, powerfully at work in you and your world. This is it. The Spirit is poured out beyond our resources beyond anything we could do. Jesus said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. You know what that means? That Jesus Christ took all that he had and poured it out on your behalf. When he got ready for his death and burial, a woman who loved him, to whom he administered, poured out expensive perfume, and its aroma filled the room. It was an act of worship. And this is your act of worship. As God has poured out his spirit without measure on a world that needs him, beyond our imagination, he has poured out his spirit. Beyond our competencies or abilities, he has poured out his spirit. We cannot control it. It comes without our permission. So he invites you in response to pour out your life as a living sacrifice unto him and watch what he does in you. When you turn loose what you hold on to so tightly, surrender what you feel is yours and lay it all down for God. You know what you will experience? Life. Unhindered, unfettered life, life that is abundant, life that flows in you like an artesian well, life that bubbles up inside of you. This is life. Do this and you will live.
Let's bow together. Somebody in the room has heard from the Holy Spirit now. Each individual. The Holy Spirit's message tailor-made for your life and situation. You need to perceive it. What is the Spirit speaking to you? Young man, young woman, mother, dad, grandparent. Is he saying to you, my fire's burning. This is me at work in your life. Receive this chastisement in faith. Is he saying to you, I am present with you in this struggle. I will be for you comforter and friend. Is he saying to you, do not be afraid of the challenge that is before you. For I am with you, even to the ends of the earth. Is he saying to you, you cannot see my activity because you've never been born again. Is that what he's saying to you? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this room, for the word that you give us tailored to our need. Help us to respond with a great yes to your call. In Jesus' name, amen.